millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. We're back, so strap up for the second part of this discussion on Bond on the Big Screen. I trust you can handle this contraption, Q. It goes by hot air. Oh, then you can. Right, the great Chris Eels, Mr Big Red Trousers, double O Bookshelf. And, and Chris and I have had a, a wonderful time devouring the, 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 the Daniel Craig Bond films, and it's, has it got more and more depressing as the, as the episodes, as the films have gone on, perhaps? <laughs> If anyone's listened to the, I mean, if you've got, if you've got as far as you know, you start listening through three hours, then you get to two guys going on, banging on for about an hour, then you're in the right place. <laughs> anyway, good evening, Chris. Good evening, Tom. You present our musings on Bond so delicately, <laughs> and you're right. It has since Die Another Day progressively got more and more dour. <laughs> <laughs> Overall, as a way of celebrating Bond's 60th anniversary, what better way is there than to see them big on the big screen? I must admit, I feel like a little bit of an interloper in this group, in these proceedings. I've only been able to see Honor Majesties and License to Kill on the big screen properly. And even that was only at the Prince Charles screenings purely just from dates and childcare and that sort of thing. Everything else I've had to watch on my little big screen at home. But it's been it's been marvelous. And it's been a real uh, a real roller coaster to see them again in succession like this, picking up little details in the background or just sort of narrative structures that you'd never really picked up before. I know th- Amongst us, I'm sure, and some other people that have been listening, that many of us have been introduced to the Bond films via their fathers, oh, you must watch this, or Bank Holidays on ITV, forever Thunderball was always on on Easter Bank Holiday for some reason. But to hear all of these musings over the past few months has been most heartwarming. And certainly the standout for me, and picking up on being introduced to this through people's fathers, on one of the early episodes, 
I forget who it was. You'll have to say if you can. Someone took their son, I think it was, to see Goldfinger. And then afterwards, there was the comments of how excited they were that they saw it. And then looking forward to the films that were coming along later. And oh, yeah, Roger Moore's coming along. That's going to be good. Yes. Oh, this one's good and that one's good. But then the excitement in their voice just picked up that extra notch when they said about A View to a Kill. And it was just... My heart melted. (laughs) You knew it was honest and pure joy of being able to watch a film that you love big. It's that sort of experience that so many of us never thought we would get and that we've had and we've been able to share. And yeah, it's the celebration of the 60th anniversary. And that is what has brought us all together here like this. I'm sure I speak for all of us here and all of the people out in... uh, podcast land say thank you to you and to the really 007 guys for hosting these forums and for opening them all up to all of the fans it's it's been great and the camaraderie that has developed is terrific bringing the community together all of the camaraderie on these podcasts it just breaks my heart like watching no time to die when i think that it's coming to an end and, and that question of what is it that we do now yeah. <laughs> Where do we go from here, Chris? Where do we go from here? I've heard Tom Cruise has made some spy films. That, that might be worth watching. Oh. Oh, sorry to interrupt, but isn't it... Uh, Mark O'Connell said, said something a few days ago. He said, the best thing that Daniel Craig did is leave a clean slate. We can go anywhere, guys. So be optimistic. The future of Bond is bright. I must say thank you to some... There you are, Sam. Because I've just started listening to the No Time to Die review. I'd, I'd never thought of it before. You've, you've compared it with the Star Trek worlds. I've never really thought about it like that. And you said, for you, that the bond before Craig is, he's not dead. He's still alive. And I thought, I've, ne- I've never thought about that before. He, you know, that, that has given me a lot of comfort. And only in this forum, as it's been said, you know, this place where all these views are coming it's been, you know, you get, there are loads of little gems that have come in each episode that have been either uh, like new revelations or new ways of thinking. And I just heard that today whilst I was washing up um, and I thought, yeah, that's absolutely right. And I've got, I had a new renewed sense of optimism. So, uh, yeah. So really? I just wanted to mention that now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah just because Harry. even though, even though we might not see a continuation of what was pre Craig, he didn't, he didn't die and he's still, you know, you can kind of, you can imagine that he's still out there doing a good job, doing a good job uh, of a, being a secret agent. So, yeah, that gave me some some comfort, Sam. So thank you, Sam Rogers. Thank you, Sam. We have to thank Bob as well because it, Bob, of course, made us all realise that one of the ideas was it was all just a dream in, uh, in the torture scene, Inspector, and none of this actually happened, so it's okay. His acupuncture worked. <laughs> <laughs> so many torture scenes in every one, isn't there? Now it's yeah, just it <laughs> dearing me. Did what's anybody... people's um, what's people's top five Bond films? That uh, has it changed? You know, since the uh, yeah, new yeah. in the cinema, I'd love to hear people's thoughts on that. Good. Well, who who wants to go first? You go for it, Patch. Well, um, it's not really changed, no, but. For a long time, it's been obviously Spy at the Top, then Goldfinger, which was the first one I saw at the cinema for this run, then You Live Twice, although that came really, really close to getting into the number two spot. Brilliant. Oh, uh, yes. Then Skyfall, obviously, 
first one I was able to see at the cinema during its original run, and then uh, Goldeneye. Well, that's a pretty solid top five. <laughs> as anyone else is like like Rob said, as any of them sort of really shot up after seeing them in the cinema. I mean, for me, particularly the early ones, straight away seeing Doctor No. I mean, the pitch was absolutely stunning, wasn't it? The transfer was fantastic. I mean, we actually watched, uh, me and Jane watched it on uh, the weekend, you know, for the, um, just after the concert. And we just thought, they got it They got it so well out, out of the starting blocks at the start, of, you know, with that first film, it was just amazing. You know, the, you know, I know the book's good anyway, but it was just uh, the Bond girl, obviously, and just the, uh, Sean's amazing in it. And it was just... Uh, such a good way to start. It was like a perfect template for the films. It was just so good in the first film. Yeah, they did such a good job with the first one, didn't they? Obviously, they refined mm, mm. as it went on with the obviously with the gun barrel and then the titles, Morris Binder coming to his own. But that first one, saying that there'd been nothing like it before. Yeah. It's yeah. such an amazing film. Who was at the BFI uh, this past weekend, well, uh, the, the previous weekend, to see Dr. No with the introduction by, by Michael G. Wilson? Was I the only one? Well, maybe here. Oh, I okay. think Sam, Sam, are you saying you were? No, so, no, so I, I, I almost went to that, but <laughs> I, went to the, I went to the other things on the Saturday, okay. but it looked like it was very good, and I know the people It, it was that absolutely were there. amazing, and one thing that, that Michael pointed out that I really never thought about is that one scene, which of course is one of my favorites, but when Bond kills Professor Dent, while he's already unarmed and everything, he could have handed him over to police, secret service, whatever, but he kills him. Then when he's on the ground, of course, he shoots again. I've always loved this scene because I love my Bond as, as a guy who's not, he's not a nice guy, let's face it. Stop it, Professor, I'm behind you. Funny, I thought you'd turn up sooner or later. Sit down. The girl talked. But of course. And I was suspicious of the Queen's Club anyhow. When it turned out you were the only one who'd seen Strangway's new secretary. And then later at the lab, you made no reference to the fact that Strangway's samples were radioactive. Very clever, Mr. Bond. But you're up against more than you know. You shoot me and you'll end up like Strangways. And you killed him? He was killed, but never mind how. Who are you working for, Professor? Well, you might as well know, as you won't live to use the information. I'm working for... Mr. Smith and Weston. And you've had your six. Michael pointed that out and he said this, this for him was the pivotal moment because until then, heroes were always the nice guys. Yeah. He always tried to, to put them in a good light. And then Bond just kills this dude. And I always felt like, you know, he, he deserved it because he, he, he killed Bond before. Only Bond wasn't there when he killed him. But um, I thought this was such an amazing scene. And then having heard that, Michael say that and then see that scene again. I saw it again in a different light. And that's, I don't know how you feel about it, but that's what happened to me with all the 17 Bond films I saw on the big screen this year. I think in every one, I found something that I hadn't seen before 
on TV or the previous screening, there was always a tiny detail or a big, big thing that I thought I never noticed that. And that's what I find so amazing that really as cliche as it sounds, the Bond films are a gift that keeps on giving. You watch them. I mean, we all are silly enough to watch them again and again. And yet I feel we always find something that is great. And even one of my best friends in, in Germany, he now has like a projector and, and a white wall in his living room where we can watch it on the kind of big screen. And even then we notice details that we hadn't seen before, uh, thanks to, you know, Blu-ray quality. And I find that so amazing. And when I watched Dr. No this time, again, I noticed new things. I don't know how many times I've seen that film, 30 times, 40 times. I have no clue. I've been watching that film for 30 years and watching it again, again, again. And yet there's something new that amazes me. And that's, I think that's one of the main things I love about Bond films. That I, they... think, I, think, I think with that kill, I mean, I totally agree with, with the kill of, of Dent because it's just so Fleming. And I can yeah. imagine Fleming watching that, you know, when the first film and just saying, <laughs> that, that, that is my Bond on the screen. That is my book Bond on the screen. And it's just, it's just, it's perfect the way Connery does it. It's just it's amazing. I wish I wish they could have. I would have. They would have kept it even in the Connery films because I mm. feel now and then you just need a mean scene. Bond. I mean, of course, we all like Bond, but then also that doesn't mean he must be a likable person. And sometimes, I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I love Roger Moore, but we <laughs> we all know that he's probably not the guy who kills a guy in cold blood. Yeah, I think for your eyes only, when he kicks Locke off the off the edge, that's one of my favorite scenes. Roger didn't want to film it. John Glenn tricked him kind of into it. I think there's a brilliant scene. And I would have loved to see more of those scenes because Bond doesn't have to be perfect. He doesn't have to justify everything he does. And uh, yeah, so along with the scene in Dr. No, where he kills Professor Dent, the scene with Locke, it's probably the strongest, oh, most Fleming yeah. moment in the Bond series. It's like uh, Fleming. I always call it. Fle I started saying it towards the end of the uh, the comments on the podcast uh, for the films. It's pure Fleming Bond. Yeah, and uh, that's what I like about Dan. Dan does quite a lot of that. You know, I think Dalton's the best at it, but I think Dan does uh, a bit of that as well. But sure, your eyes only with the kick over the cliff. That's just like pure hard bastard Bond. You know, just kicks it yeah. off the cliff. It's just incredible. I think, Amazing. I think you forget as well that Roger's bomb shoots Stromberg four times. <laughs> yeah, people, people hate that ending. Okay. I give you that, and I love that movie. It's my favourite more movie. I love that ending. Your time's running out, Stromberg. Yours too, Mr Bond. Yours too. And faster than you think. Shot your boat, Stromberg. Now it's my turn. Well, there's so many instances of Roger. You know, it's like, oh no, he isn't that you know cold. But hang on, there's this, there's that, there's that. Pretty much 
most of his films, right up to the end, even A View to a Kill, I know he's a bit more jokey, but he's absolutely like, was it Don't Really Stacy? He's a psychopath. He, he absolutely hates Zorin in that film, doesn't he? He really can't stand him. And Killing Tibbet was a mistake. The guy, he's not a joker the whole time. Oh, Actually, you're right. That's for 009. Yeah, I do you when he's looking? Yeah, let's not forget how he kicks that little lad off that boat in Man. <laughs> Pure Fleming. <laughs> you, you agree that in, in the, the man Fleming. I'll tell you what, Sonny, I'll give you 20,000 baht if you can make this heap go any faster. 20,000 baht! I'm afraid I have to owe you. Bloody tourists! 20,000 baht! In The Man with the Golden Gun, I, I feel that's Roger's meanest bond. Oh, yeah, yeah. How he twists uh, Andrea's Absolutely arm and everything. <laughs> when I saw it at the Prince Charles, not this year though, they showed it last year and I was there. There's this scene where a good knight is in the closet. And then when yeah. he, he finally comes out, she, <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember what she says to Bond, but he says to her, don't worry, your time will come. <laughs> what happened in the cinema was that everybody was laughing except yeah. one woman who said, oh no or something like that <laughs> he was so upset and then everybody laughed even more because we know it's not right it and bond doesn't need to be right i wouldn't none of us would treat a woman like that but that's not what it's about you know it's I, just um, it's, it's, it's just so good you know when he kind of does the hard stuff you what if you watch the wild geese you know when he kills a drug dealer in that flat in london you know in that film and he's such a cold-hearted bastard it's just like I think it was about 77, 78 when you filmed that movie. I, I, I don't know if you've seen that film, Wild Geese, but he's so hard in that and he's perfect. His acting's amazing, but he was always so hard on himself as an actor. He was like, oh, I'm not that good. He was like, come on, be good. The scene with Orlov in the train in the mm. Oxford Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Oh, you know, and he shoots that guy straight in the forehead. Yeah. Leave that, let's go. Let's stay. Sit on that box, hands on your knees. Come on, move. Why is that bomb on the train? Who are you? I'm British Secret Service. You should be more concerned about getting out of here alive. I am more concerned about an atomic bomb exploding on a US Air Force base. You surely can't be inviting a full-scale nuclear war. What happens when the US retaliates? Against whom? Our early warning system will rule out the possibility of that bomb having been launched from Russia or anywhere else. Everyone will assume, incorrectly, that it was an American bomb triggered accidentally. Oh, that would be the most plausible explanation. Europe will insist on unilateral disarmament, leaving every border undefended for you to walk across at will. And it doesn't matter a damn to you, I suppose, that thousands of innocent people will be killed in that accident of yours. Better than letting a handful of old men in Moscow bargain away our advantage in disarmament talks. On your feet, General. You're going to stop that train. It's too late. You can stop it at the border. And it was a guy, if we if we if we're being honest, 
it was just a soldier. <laughs> he wasn't even an evil guy. It was just a guy who followed all Just a professional home. doing a job. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, I wanted to get in Herb Dom again because we've mentioned that obviously these films are now 60 years old. You being a, young, a younger person on here, what's it like seeing these really old films but brought to life? You know, I know you haven't seen them all on a big screen, but is it amazing that you, you like these films that are so old now? Yeah, I just like them all, to be honest, because I just, I've watched them all at a young age. So, and I don't know, in like the early 2000s, when it was like Double O Heaven or whatever on ITV. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I remember going around to my grandma's and watching like Moonraker and stuff, and we used to tape it, and then we used to skip the 10 o'clock news. And but to be honest, it's not like, I just sort of watched them all sort of at an early age, and then sort of, I know time has gone on, but it doesn't really apply to me in that respect, because I'm just so used to watching them, if that makes any sense. Yeah. With you, Dom, which are your favourites, having watched them all again? I mean, I made the list with the Swords Wrap, but to be honest, that put it all out of perspective because I haven't got any yeah. Connery films in my top ten. Off the top of my head, I'd probably say Golden Eyes up there and Live and Let Die for some reason, Licence to Kill, of course, just stuff like that. How have you found No Time to Die? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I don't like it. It messed with my head, to be honest. I just left the cinema and I was just like... What on earth have I just watched? <laughs> I went back a week later and I was just like, I'm still not sure. Yeah, so it's going to take a long time to get over it. But to be honest, watching clips on YouTube, just like Bond in M's office when he comes back and says, Is the desk bigger or have you got smaller or something? And I find that stuff quite good. Where it's, it's been shot all nice. There's, there's bits of it that were right, but just generally, I'm, I'm not a big fan. Well, I'd be quite um, interested to know so. Sorry, what No Time Today is like on the small screen. I've yeah, I've done that. I've, I've done that um, gag, Harry. Um, oh, really? Oh, right, you probably hear that gag, yeah. I've only seen it at the cinema when it came out, and I would struggle to put that on at home. But I know, obviously, the whole point of what we're saying is how the, the big screen elevates <laughs> things. But too big in your the, the, the beauty, yeah, the beauty of the Bond franchise as well is that it it fits in your living room as well, doesn't it? It's it's yeah. very it's like a comforting franchise that uh, provides a lot of comfort and like warmth and familiarity and routine almost. You just watch like No Time to Die and he's blown up at the end, and then you just compare it to I don't know Moonraker where he's just in <laughs> yeah. on a big bloody screen. Like what is he doing? I think it's a temporary entry, sir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is he? Yeah, it's a different take, oh, isn't it? <laughs> Well, Yvonne and Andy, it's time for you to be a bit more positive than, than we've all been on <laughs> No Time Today. Go on. Well, I, I, I felt it was a ballsy move. Um, yeah, yeah. The, the, the rumours going around for quite a while with uh, when Danny Boyle was involved with the film. And I sort of heard a vague rumour that either he quit because they wanted to kill Bond off or he wanted to kill Bond off. And, and we didn't know sort of which side of the fence he, he was on. On it, so I went in with a little bit of an inkling, going, "Surely they can't kill James Bond off. Surely this 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 never happens. He's the man who sort of you know escapes Bond. Like, if you do that, that's quite a that's quite a brave move. That's gonna ruffle a few feathers. Because I'm sort of of the opinion that you know you can't escape every single time. And also with it being Daniel Craig's last one and the Craig movies insisting in their own sort of separate bubble almost, it was like, well, why shouldn't they try something a little bit different? And I think. Sort of that last last ten minutes or so, where he sends Madeline uh, off on the boat, and like, oh, they're gonna do this. They're really they're gonna they're gonna actually go go with this. Um, and I think we, we were both sort of sat yeah. there, sort of 
you know, with a little bit of uh, <laughs> something in the eye. Um, I think we waited so long to see the film because we got together years ago and we were talking about the next Bond film and it was like, oh, we'll go see a film together for the first time. Yeah, it was like, oh, we'll finally get to yeah. see a Bond film to, together. And it was the first film we saw after, yeah, I think as with mm. a lot of people, after, after COVID. Yeah, I, I, and also the thing is, we did sit there until the very end of the movie to check that James Bond will return. <laughs> so it's it's not like he's dead, dead. There is going to be another Bond movie. You're going to have a new James Bond. And for once, is it such a bad thing to to have him killed off and go out with a, a you know, also sort of a, a Viking funeral type thing of getting, <laughs> getting blown, to, blown to smithereens? Does that not, you know, make you a little bit kind of... <laughs> A little bit proud of Bond, actually dying south in the world for once. Does that not make him more of a hero? Some kind of hero. <laughs> <laughs> Same guy. Um, Patch, what do you think of No Time to Die? Yeah, I, I quite like it. I mean, I know it's obviously divisive. The first time I watched it, you know, going into the cinema a year ago, you know, like they were saying, I was also quite surprised with the ending, I remember, because <laughs> uh, I brought my brought my dad along and he, I turned to him and he was like, Oh shoot! <laughs> really done this. You just but, killed James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but no, um, heading heading on the way back home, I thought it through, and eventually we all decided, you know what, that was brilliant. You know, oh. We enjoyed the journey. We enjoyed the journey going up to it, and you know, Craig is a Bond that I've always liked. Skyfall, like I said, was was one of my top Bond films. So seeing the culmination of this all, it had a special feeling to it, but I didn't see it at the cinema again till recently, but I did get the Blu-ray, watched it again as a family, and yeah, we all enjoyed it. Again, it had taken a bit of a while for my thoughts to be fully consolidated, but second time around, yeah, liked it. Third time around, took a couple of friends, and yeah, we all had a really good time. I mean, as I said in the uh, the episode, one of my friends had already seen the film, and I remember him saying to me before, oh, "The ending's really sad, isn't it?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, sure." And then <laughs> we uh, actually went there. That's but... pretty mildly double so. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. And um, my other friend, he had only seen Skyfall and Spectre, so. I was wondering, hmm, what, what's his reaction going to be? Is he going to like it or is he going to be totally confused? So we finished the film. We come out, we're all heading home. And he was kind of like, well, what are they, what are they going to do next? They've just killed off James Bond. And I was like, oh, don't, don't worry. You know, it's a separate continuity and all that. They'll just do another reboot or whatever. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was an, int- <laughs> it was an interesting experience from that angle for sure. But no, I, I, I do enjoy it, despite all its divisiveness. I just think it, it ticks the right boxes for me in terms of mixing classic Bond elements with the sensibilities of Craig's particular style. That's brilliant. I mean, it's, it is good to hear positives for it. And Callum, you put some of your thoughts in. And I don't know, how, how does it sort of feel one year on, having experienced it? Uh, I mean, yeah, this was only the second time I saw it on the big screen. And my, my opinion hasn't really changed that much, to be honest. Um, I liked it when I first saw it. It's, it's got balls. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's ballsy to go there to do that. I guess the one criticism in terms of the whole kind of death of James Bond thing is that you know, it does, you know, he gets shot and then 
the whole infection thing and then blown up. It does put me in mind of that scene in Airplane, <laughs> lining up with the crowbars. <laughs> you can imagine some kind of script meeting where they're like, yeah, we'll shoot him. I mean, it does, it does go a bit much. But the film in general, yeah, I, I echo the sentiments of classic Bond. And I think that I really enjoyed what felt like a, a kind of return to the to fantasy and to, to playing in fantasy, not not just in terms of elements of story, but the way it, it looked as well. I mean, visually, I really enjoyed um, Safin's Island. But I know there's a lot of callbacks to, to Doctor No. I guess one disappointment, um, and this is very, very personal, but I've been waiting years for the Poison Garden, and that was not what I wanted. I wanted a jungle. Again, I wanted nastiness. I wanted... Like, I agree. I wonder people getting you know, what is that bit? The guy gets his head kind of expanded because he's he's got more <laughs> to the piranha oh, thing. I yeah. wanted Fresh. that. I wanted gold, and I got this little Japanese garden. <laughs> that was a bit of a disappointment. It was in the trailer, though, wasn't it? Was it? I've not clocked that. Was it in the trailer? I think. It, I think. Well, yeah. You just saw him saw that sort of tiny garden thing, which becomes a paddling pool where he kills him. You just oh, yeah, yeah. You know. I didn't. I hadn't clocked. It was that. I think. I, I think I was holding out hope. Paddling pool. <laughs> I've done that in Go before as well, Harry. As well. But it's, yeah, I mean, that's on the whole, so it still it's, holds up. Yeah, good, right, well, good. Go on, Philip, go on. You wanted to say something about No uh, Time to uh, Die, maybe. One thing about the ending. So I think I'm, I'm a rather unusual Bond fan when it comes to No Time to Die because I don't dislike, I like every Bond movie, but I don't dislike No Time to Die for the ending. I dislike it for, in, in my opinion except for the opening scene, it doesn't have any spectacular scenes that I look forward to watching it again again, again and again. It is a fun film, and I have to give it to them. Two hours, 45 minutes went by quite fast. However, you know, most of the action scenes in that film, I'm not excited about, except for Matera. That's, That's my one problem. The other thing is I completely agreed with Callum. I have been looking forward to the Poison Garden for ages. I think that's one of Fleming's greatest ideas. And the garden is just there, but it's not important for the storyline. We could have we could have had some crazy scenes with that that would have been, you know, memorable Bond scenes for the ages. It just didn't happen. The garden was there. He showed it to the kid. The kid didn't, Matilde uh, didn't touch anything. And that's, that was it. Such a beautiful child. Perhaps we should have some tea. Make her see the light. No, you can't separate us! Betty! Don't worry. You have me. All of those who have read the book, You Only Live Twice, know that the, that garden is... There, there's so much excitement about it. You know, people trying to take their lives there, bond, witnessing it all, hiding at night. It's, it's superb. Anyways, uh, the point I was I originally wanted to make is so I was at the the world premiere for the first time at the Royal Albert Hall for this film with the two of my friends, and what was amazing when the end credits were rolling, everybody was kind of you know dazzled. Everybody was like, "What what just happened here?" And then towards the end of the end credits, we saw the James Bond will return thing, and then the people in in the hall were applauding suddenly applause got really loud because everybody was so worried that this was like you know the end of James Bond and I said it before to friends of mine I think even if they kill him that's just you know killing Daniel Craig's James Bond everybody can chill so while I don't love the ending of him dying 
I can deal with it because for me, that's just the, the Daniel Craig ending. However, I feel it's, it's a bit of a lost uh, opportunity because with Casino Royale, that was the first time we, we really had a fresh start. Like this was our new bond. And I feel like they could have done what they've done before with Connery, Lazenby, more that you have a new actor, but some kind of continuity. And I hope that even though he died now, they will say, you know, we're going to keep Ray Fiance. We're going to keep uh, Naomi Harris's Money Penny. We're going to keep Rory Kinnear because they were beloved characters. And that way we have some sort of, you know, this, this well-known world that people go into when they watch a Bond film. They say, hey, I know that guy. I know that guy. Okay, yeah. there's a new face as a Bond, but this is my James Bond world. So I would hope that they do the same thing that they did when they moved from Brosnan to Craig, where M stayed, even though it makes no sense if you think about it. No, I'd love that, but it, it'd be a bit weird, though, after seeing, you know, Q tearful on the thing to Bond and doing all of them doing it, raising a glass. Oh, no, he's back, somebody else. Isn't it? The codename theory, you know, it, it's an easy one for people to say, oh, well, I, I mean, everyone everyone hates that. I mean, I, I would Yeah, like I hate that, that too. But that would, if it's just a new actor who, after because we've just seen the guy blown up and then it's the same Scooby-Doo gang, it's like, all oh, right, well, it's it's his replacement, isn't it? But it's okay I, because, let's face it, if, well, for me personally, if I watch a Bond film, then I watch that particular Bond film. There can be references to other Bond films, but it's only that Bond film and that cast that matters at the moment. I don't care that Robert Brown has been there before in a different role. I don't care that the guy who's uh, Hillary Bray, George Baker, is the Admiral in The Spy Who Loved Me. I oh, don't yeah. Care that I've seen Shandor in, is it Shandor? <laughs> yeah, Dr. No before. That Shandor. always happens. We have yeah. that with Charles Gray. We have that with, you know, with uh, Whittaker, who comes back as Bond's ally. So I'm completely fine with that. These two hours, or maybe three hours, whatever they do, are the Bond that I'm watching. And if I like the cast that I see, and if the story makes sense to me, perfectly fine with it. It doesn't need to be a perfect continuity. After 60 years, it's impossible. And they keep, they're not going to kill him ever again, are they? They've done that now. So that's, well, that's out of the way. No, two things you shouldn't do again for at least 30 years. Don't make Bond a new agent. Like, I don't need to see an origin story again because we have the perfect origin story. And the other thing is don't kill him again. It was interesting, maybe, to do it once. It may, might have made sense for Cuisine Royale. Personally, I think it made perfect sense. But to do it again would be nonsense. We, I don't want it to be like Batman. I love Batman. That's my second favorite franchise. Well, one of my favorite franchises. But I don't... Like in every film, I see him become Batman. And then I see the thing with Alfred. Then I see something like that. Come on. It's, it's too much now. I don't want to see the whole story again again. It's even worse with Spider-Man. In every film, yeah. his aunt dies. Oh, his, no, no, younger. his uncle yeah. dies, and now for the first time his aunt dies, but it's still the same thing. Give me something new, and Spoiler. that's the thing with the Bond formula. You can put everything in that Bond formula. Just make him go into that office, get the file, and then it can be everything. It can be everything, really. It just seems kind of um, short of ideas now, but they're actually not. It just needs to be a normal spy film. It doesn't have to be the, the biggest thing in the world. You know, Absolutely. The biggest film in the world. The kind of pressure on Bob's and Mike is so intense. It's like, just make a spy film. You know, the spy films, it doesn't have to, have to be a massive 
300 million pound film. I think they found themselves competing with yeah, superheroes, yeah. haven't they? <coughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And they shouldn't. They shouldn't. Bond no, is it's, it's its own thing. It's, it, Bond is its own universe. It doesn't have to be competing with Marvel whatsoever. Just like Shatham was universe. like a superhero villain, wasn't he, really? Like a bit yeah. supernatural. He didn't age for some reason. He didn't bleed mm. much when he got shot. <laughs> and then, look at, <laughs> then he came look at the ending of Spectre when, when he runs through that building, that MI6 building, that totally reminded me of Batman. You had all the pictures yeah. of previous yeah. villains. Yeah. It was like the villain, and that was the whole Brofeld thing. It wasn't about something that really made sense. I mean, Bond can be crazy. We, we all love Moonraker, but mm. still, there, need to, there needs to be a story that somehow in, in the real world. Yeah, and a, a, the biggest villain in the world, whose only thing is to care about his adoptive brother or whatever you want to call him to have revenge i mean you just literally built the biggest crime organization in the world have all the money in the world and yet you care about your stupid brother who earns a little bit of money and gets to go on a cool trip sometimes come on <laughs> very good it's like, it's a, i always think now why i love casino because it's most like books it's the most fleming bond film yes to me that's why it's my top bond film because it's just a spy film like John le Carre or Lynn Dighton or, you know, it's, it's a spy film. Yeah, brilliant. And, and it's not an easy watch. It's not an easy easy Bond film at all by a long way. It's quite a journey, but it's, it's always worth it at the end. The snow this year is better at Innsbruck. But not at San Moritz. Ferrara. Bond. James Bond. Luigi. Any of the really below seven lads, have you thought about seeing No Time to Die again? <laughs> well, I did see it twice at the cinema when it came out a year ago. I, I do have it on Blu-ray. It remains unopened. <laughs> and I, I wasn't particularly... I actually saw the only one I missed up and... So I missed Diamonds Are Forever. And then the next one after that I missed was Quantum of Solace. I went back for Skyfall and then I've not seen Spectre and uh, No Time to Die. So, but I mean, you know... It, Partly because I'm not as into them, but part, partly as well because I've seen them recently and obviously No Time to Die I saw a year ago. So the cinematic experience is still fresh in my mind, you know, mostly in probably a more negative way, but in, you know, in some positive bits to it. But yeah, it didn't really appeal to me to go back to watch that one again. That wasn't really what, what I was thinking this whole thing was like drawing me in for, you know, it was, it was to see the Sean Connery films, the Roger films, those, you know, and the Tim Dalton ones just just to see them on the big screen. It was kind of a weird thing with these films because I, I felt like it was close, like Close Encounters when uh, he gets drawn to that mountain. It was like, I knew each film was on every single week and I felt like I had to go, yeah. kind of had to be there. Mm. It's like a weird sort of pull to the cinema <laughs> each week. You know, it was weird. Yeah, yeah. Chris, are you going back? Are you going to revisit No Time to Die soon? Uh, eventually. It's not, it's, not, it's not one I want to sort of go back to because it's, it's well, it's been a year, hasn't it? And I saw it twice yeah. at the cinema. So it feel like, it's like Matt said, it feels pretty sort of fresh in my mind. And it didn't land with me. It didn't. And every time I go back, I just see it for its faults. I'd, I think we need some sort of distance between, <laughs> between that for me to get over it. I don't know. I, it just didn't work for me. And I think, you know, in the same way that Spectre doesn't work for me, but Spectre, more than no, to die, no Time to Die, is a film that I kind of want to like, but there's too many faults that I just can't sort of get past. 
the brother aspect of that is is the big thing. But yeah, it's a difficult one, isn't it? When you when when you you love the series so much, and there's a film that doesn't land with you, it's like I don't know. It's just it's, it's quite a difficult relationship to have with those films, and sometimes it just takes a bit of time, doesn't it? You might like I went to see you know Dying of the Day, and I, I came out just like that's not what I expected. That's not what I wanted. But it was what I got. And I thought, you know what? There's going to be another Bond film in two years' time, three years' time, because that's what we were expecting. And it didn't come. And we got Casino Royale, which is completely different. So I think that, um, yeah, I just think that, that that sometimes you just need a bit of, you know, time is a healer, so to speak. <laughs> if only we had you know, more time. <laughs> it's like with, um, we're kind of waiting for these films. There's such a long wait for this film. And I wanted them to do new stuff with it. I kind of thought they were, they were short of ideas with these Bond films and please just give us something new and take um, dangerous steps with it and that kind of thing. And I can't complain that they actually did that. Because so, I've, I've been bleating for about, for the last like seven years, been bleating about making changes to Bond and doing new stuff. So I just feel they did kind of did too much with it. They went a little bit too far mm. maybe with it, I guess. I'm kind of glad they kind of shook it up a lot because I've been shouting about that for, for years. Yeah. It's definitely, I think time's going to be kinder to it in a way. I think um, give it a couple of years and a lot of us will be saying, yeah, they, they took a chance with it, did new stuff. And I want to hear more from Dom now. That's like Stockholm Syndrome, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Another Purvis and Wave thing. I just think there was a lot of expectation because obviously things out of its control, coronavirus and whatnot, you know, put delay on it. I think I went to see it on the second night it was out. So I was just, I was fully expecting just something big you know and not like well obviously that was big but just I wanted to come out of the cinema feeling great because it's Bond and I'm not used to being disappointed by it you know so for that respect it just it didn't do it for me but obviously we had such a long way I just wanted more you know I don't know if any of you feel the same I think the good thing about it was going back to the Bond on the big screen thing remember a few people were complaining you know I might have complained a bit that look come on just can we just watch this just stream it come on we've waited long enough but yeah, to be cool. fair they held the nerve and it was the right decision you know for whatever the things we don't like about it it's a very cinematic film and seeing those early ones like I said before on the big screen you think goodness me like my dad seeing you know the, I don't know whether he saw Doctor No but I think he saw Goldfinger certainly at the cinema what an amazing what an amazing experience that would have been then in front of a packed house, audiences going watching it again and again, and then I remember when we spoke to Alan Church, he he mentioned the the back to back double bills. You know, they came on quite often because you didn't, they weren't on TV. You know, the, was it the premiere of Diamonds Are Forever on ITV? Like you know, thirty million people watching it because it was such a massive event then in Live and Let Die as well. But just to have them, you know, because you couldn't, you couldn't sort of, there was no video players then. It was like, right, I only get one chance to remember this bit and that scene. So you'd go back and, and watch it again and again. So I think I'm I'm so thankful for seeing these films on the big screen. And another point I was going to make was that growing up, you sort of think of, oh, Dalton, perhaps. He's, he's not a movie star, you know, because he's not been in that many big films and everyone poo-poos the cinematography of his two Bond films. But you're like... You see him on the big screen, his face, you know, the close-up shots that John Glenn does, and you're like, my goodness me, of course he's a movie star. I mean, he's absolutely fantastic actor, and he really he really owns both those films he is in, and they, they, they would be much, much poorer without him. I know what you mean, Tom, about the, the, the wait for No Time to Die, because it was so agonising, like the seven years waiting for the film on the cinema, 
And Bobbers and Mike were like, oh, we need to get this on the cinema. That's the only way you're going to see it. And I was one of those people who was kind of like, oh, for God's sake, just get it on streaming. It's what a lot of people do now. But I was saying that knowing that I love it on the big screen. But I just wanted to see the damn thing. I was just like so annoyed about the delays and as we all were. But I'm so glad that we waited and kind of, it was agonising, but I'm just so glad that we waited for it. And it was worth it. I still like it. As well as it being on the big screen as well, it had that great big premiere event, which was really kind of uplifting for the country and the world coming out of coronavirus and cinema, seeing all the people on the red carpet, a lot of the Bond crew. And there was, you know, it did feel like a national occasion, which I'm so pleased about because that's what Bond needs to be. And it's what Skyfall absolutely nailed in terms of making it feel like a, you know, real British thing that everyone was proud of and, I thought that was that was a really nice thing to see when No Time to, Time Today came out when because it got also, that great premiere. <clears throat> it was like a couple of weeks after that first sort of lockdown, wasn't it? I think it was it was in April. It was supposed to be out, and uh, I had the tickets booked at a nice boutique cinema in Manchester, and uh, and it just got delayed. That was the first delay, I think, in the uh, the flicks. April, I think. April twenty. Yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So many delays. And I was gutted. We were all gutted, but <laughs> yes. And it was so so cinematic. I mean, with all the, the the things that bother me about it, as I said before, two hours forty five minutes. I saw it one time at the Royal Albert Hall at the premiere, and then twice at the cinema. Every time, it it went by so quickly. Even the yeah. third time, I was at the mm. cinema with a friend who said, "Are you going to watch it with me?" I said, "I watched it twice, but I'm going to watch it with you." And then in the middle of that movie, because I drank a beer or two. I had to go to the loo. Yeah. And I said, that's no problem because I've seen it before. And then I didn't go because I was like, no, I'm, I'm, there's nothing I, I, I want to miss right now. So it's, it's a very ambivalent relationship I have with this film because in my Bond ranking, I don't like it that much. But then I think every time I see it, I'm going to like it while I watch it. I don't know if that makes any sense, but... Um, yeah. And then when I have oh, to rank cold. it, yeah. when I have to rank it, the last time I did this ranking, you know, this this there's this app where you compare basically each film. Yeah, with the each sorter. Other. Yeah. Yeah, sorter. Yeah. And then it ended up for the first time, it ended up in last place. And I was like, oh wow, that's that's surprising. And it's probably gonna be there for a while, but then that doesn't mean I don't like it and I'm not gonna mm-hmm. watch it again. And um, this time, so this year, I didn't watch it again. It, it just uh, didn't. So the day at the BFI when they showed Skyfall, Spectre and No Time to Die, I really wanted to go because they showed No Time to Die in 3D. But there was too much going on. And, you know, I have a little daughter. And the whole Saturday, because of the BFI things, you know, the sound of 007 and everything, I was away and my wife was already, she's very, very tolerant, but I don't want to yeah. exaggerate. And then I watched Skyfall at the IMAX again. So I said, okay, the rest of the day, I'm going to stay home. However, I wanted to watch it again. But one point I wanted to make before, I don't know how you felt about this. So there were three films on the big screen that completely changed for me. So the one film, I think many of you have read my post on, on GoldenEye and on CineCompass. Uh, when I watched GoldenEye, it was my first film at the cinema in 1995. And I don't know why, but I watched it and it was a complete disappointment for me and my best friend. We didn't admit it to each other for, I think, about a year, maybe even after the VHS came out. But I wasn't happy with it. And now, finally, after 25 years, 
I enjoyed this movie on the big screen. And then the same happened with Quantum of Solace when this came out. So since 1997, I've been traveling before I moved here to London. I traveled to London with my best friend for every Bond film to be at the red uh, at the red carpet premiere and then see the movie at the first moment we can. And then Quantum of Solace was the second big disappointment because after Casino Royale, our expectations were so high. <laughs> at, at this point, I can't even explain why I was so disappointed with Casino Royale. I know the editing, that's one point, but but now I watched it and I was like, I love this movie. I could watch it again and again because it's so fast paced. The editing in the pre-title sequence is still too fast for me, but still watching it again now after 14, 14 years was a revelation. And the third one, surprisingly, that happened last year already when I saw it on the big screen for the first time, was Moonraker. I never disliked Moonraker. I always enjoyed it. But seeing it on, on the big screen, I can't imagine how anybody going to the cinema would ever be disappointed because yeah. it's, just, it's just two hours of big fun. Yes, there's things if you're like too much of a Fleming fan, and I'm a huge Fleming fan, could say, wow, this is, this is not what I wanted. But then again, if it's so much fun, why would you care what you initially hoped for? Because it's just, yeah, it's just, and the music, as you mentioned, another point for your eyes only has always been one of my favorite. At times it was like probably my favorite, but it's moved down a bit when, and that was my pivotal moment. And then I'm going to stop a pivotal moment at this run I saw for years only twice at the cinema and when the drive in the country started that was my moment when I almost had tears in my eyes because this had always been I think one of my favorite soundtracks I was so happy when in the 90s I got the record the vinyl record because it wasn't available on CD and then there was a bootleg CD of For Your Eyes Only that had For Your Eyes Only an Octopussy soundtrack both of them um, on, on one CD I bought them at a shop in Hamburg and it was always a, try, a drive in the country. I played it again and again. And then I'm sitting in the Prince Charles Cinema and then a few weeks later at the Odeon Cinema. The drive in the country comes. One of my favorite scenes, one of my favorite musics. And I was there and I was like close to tears. It's ridiculous. My wife laughed at me. But anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Great track. Gary, I want, I want to hear more from you, mate. So, yeah. The, um, also, Tomorrow Never Dies. It's not, not Tomorrow Never Dies. Um, <laughs> time to die um i watched it again last night at home and i enjoyed most of it to be honest with you i the ending i didn't i could see it coming before the film was released last year and it was a big event going to see going back to the cinema to see something on the big screen again let alone a brand new james bond film so i went three times i think last year and really enjoyed the experience in the main. Uh, I still think the pre-title sequence is one of the best. I think it looks superb on the big screen. And it's, even though it goes on for like 25 minutes or so, it's, for me, it's one of the series best. I think it's really excellent. Love the Italian locations that they used. And the other thing I thought stands up very well, and I watched it last night, is Hans Zimmer's score. I think he did a superb job with the score for the film. I, I'd be happy if he came back again, whether it's on his own or collaborating with um, David Arnold as he did at the Royal Albert Hall 
yeah. concert last week. Um, really enjoyed that. This year, it's just been great to see all of these Bond films back on the big screen. As I said before, many of them I've never seen on the big screen before. Very impressed with um, Amazon Prime's 4K streaming service of the Bond films that they've put out the past week. I don't know if you, any, any of you have seen those at all, but Dr. No looks stunning on that. Oh, yeah. Really impressed with the amount of detail that you can pick out on those old films. Um, I've enjoyed most of the 60th. I still am holding out that they might do some 4K discs before Christmas. I'll be and quite disappointed if they don't. And I do notice that they've withdrawn all of the Bond soundtracks recently, the vast majority of them. So I'm wondering whether those are going to get re-released. So it'd be nice if we at some point get a, an extended release of Spy, Love Me and Moonraker, the soundtracks for those. Apparently, La La Land Records is preparing Moonraker and License to Kill extended editions. They really? started that before. Oh, wow. Reports say they started that before the pandemic, but yeah. then it was somehow delayed. I'm I'm trying oh, to get wow. in touch with them to know, but they are they are great in doing uh, extended. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I agree. They, they're fantastic because um, after um, seeing Tomorrow Never Dies and really enjoying that, I did actually get the um, the two David Arnold releases that they've done. So far, World is not enough is stunning. The uh, the two disc version they've done of that that is just fantastic. Yep. And the Die Another Day one's probably better than the film itself. To be honest with you, it's such, such a a good soundtrack for David Arnold's store. But um, yeah, the world, world is not enough one is particularly good. I was very impressed with that. To hear they're, they're doing Moonraker and License to Kill, did you say? My yes, word. License to Kill. That would be My amazing word. because the License to Kill soundtrack, the, the CD that I've got, which I had on vinyl originally when the film came out, was a big disappointment because it's just mainly songs, isn't it? And a bit of music, not much of the score. So to get the full score would be amazing. So fingers crossed that that's not far off. The soundtrack's more like another cast member, isn't it, really? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. Yeah, because that was the thing that you take it for granted when you watch the John Barry um, scored films. He did such an amazing job and he never got the Oscar credit that he should have got for the James Bond films. You come to some of the later films, the, the, the quality of the scores is variable. And as you said, it's a, it's a, it's a character. It, it's the thing that elevates the scene and completely draws you into a picture. I mean, if you watched The Omen without that Jerry Goldsmith score, oh, yeah. I don't think it would be anywhere near as terrifying as it is. So, um, yeah, I totally, totally agree with you. I saw a comment earlier this week on Twitter where someone had said, and I don't agree with it, but I, I saw where they were coming from, that Dr. No was an, a normal spy film if it wasn't for the soundtrack of John Barry, because it just elevates it to another level of a, a spy film. It's not just a generic spy film, it's just something else. And I thought, I, I sort of agree. I can see where he's coming from with that. Yeah, there, there's, a, there's a lot. I think it's more than just a score, though, isn't it, with um, with Dot Snow? Because my dad... Well, I agree. Yeah, my my dad saw Doctor on the big screen, and one of the things he said when um, he saw it was um, that the electronics sound as well. He said it, it was like nothing he'd ever seen before at the cinema, and he went to see it several times. Um, him and in friends of his that went to see it back in. Uh, 62 on its original release and um i, I think dr no is very cinematic because it's not a great deal of dialogue in it and um i love the way that um they're able to tell the story through visuals mainly like hitchcock did and um 
that that for me is one is is superior filmmaking and and i think that the, the connery films are just the 60s bond films are just a golden age of uh cinema um just wonderfully put together films we've mentioned the 60s quite a lot but we haven't massively mentioned the 90s and I can now welcome the great George, <laughs> and it's a George Savvy again, George Aldred from Cinema Savvy, the hardest working man perhaps in YouTube. He's what a machine this guy is, reviewing all the Steven Spielberg films at the moment. We've had a great time chatting over the Pierce Brosnan films, having seen them at the cinema, George. Oh, they've been amazing, to be fair. Uh, obviously, you know, I grew up with him as my Bond. I still very much see that, although I've obviously grown up obviously growing up with Craig as well for 16 of the 26 years I've, I've existed. Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, the first Bond film of Swords of the World is not enough. And I know I got to speak about it gratefully on the channel that with you guys, it was a massive thing for me to see that at the big screen, that, you know, yeah. the, the first taping, the first time I saw that was a taping of it when I was on TV in England. And I didn't even know about, not the pre-title sequence, but it just began on the Thames chair, so you didn't know anything about Robert King. So it was one of the illustrious ones that took me years to realise, you know, what actually was the full film like. But, it is incredible how I think Bond celebrating the sixty years. It just reinvents itself every every decade or two. I know that I know that Barbara Rocky dropped that word for Fort Scap moving forward, but every every new Bond has felt like a reinvention of itself. Whether it's Pierce, who I still think is the the, the jack of all trades, master of them all as well, and then you've got Craig, who's more along that post nine eleven modern filmmaking style. It's kind of really interesting to see just how each generation takes to it. And I, th I think that the timing is key for how they do them. But the 90s was just, I mean, okay, I existed for four years of it, but there's something about the 90s where I think if they'd have got Bond wrong with Brosnan, I don't think we'd be talking about Bond here in 2022. I think it'd be a, a relic from the past. And they were quite open in, in using that in terms of their um their introductory. And also thank you for the very kind words introducing me very late. Sorry, <laughs> I, I've, had, I've had a bit of an evening, so... I couldn't make it to when this began, but I'm happy to be here. I think most of us have had a few beers, George. I won't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> what was the first one you saw at the cinema? Dawn of Day. Uh, there you go. And and it was a, a fantastic experience at the age of six. And it's uh, revisiting it at the cinema at the age of 26 was also fascinating as well. I still <laughs> absolutely love it. I know it's got its defenders, and I'd happily say I am one of them. Uh, and I know it does have issues, which I'm not going to hide from either, but it's... um. I mean, just seeing that car. I know I was cut short because we were pushed for time and respect, but the ice car chase, like on a cinema screen, like that's James Bond. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Why did you go, to the, you know, without getting on a tangent about a film, like you can't, you can't accept having, you know, that car chase. That, that doesn't look good. Doesn't matter how good your setup is at home. That will pale comparison to any cinema thing. And I know the Broccoli's have spoken moving forward that Amazon are backing the theatrical release, which is massively important. 
And obviously, although I only got to see the Brosnan era on the big screen, I was envious of a lot of people that got to check in for all the eras. I'd have loved to have seen some of the older ones. I just yeah. couldn't make it work. And I just think it's a different experience at the cinema, right? That it's the big screen, it's the darkness, it's the sound, it's the other people there because they are also there to watch it, not with you, but they're there to watch it on that big screen. And I just think it adds certain dimensions. And I think without going off a random tangent, the one I'd be really curious about, especially over the last you know, a few months with all the stuff we've been doing. I would love to have seen You Only Live Twice on the big screen. I, I know that the obvious one say is a spy who loved me, but I would love to see that volcano yeah. base. Yeah. Well, that was amazing. It's one that for quite a few of us that it's... I think some... I can't remember who it was. They said it was always my favourite Connery as a kid, but then, you know, sort of growing up, it no longer is. But I must still be a kid because I'm... I think it's possibly mine and I just love the scope. It's like an identity Bond film exactly all the ingredients that you want. Even at the end, you could say, I suppose there's no massive main villain other than Blofeld appearing right at the end. It's got that real mystery leading up to it. It's so underrated by Bond fans. It, I just it, don't it, seem to talk about it. That on the big screen was absolutely yeah. magical for me. Um, I tried to express that on the recording of the podcast, but You Only Live Twice is... It's, it's almost one that's now just taken for granted. It's It's got the formula, it's got the base, it's got the big ending, it's got space. That is not as, as a poem. Um, but yeah, um, it was on the big screen, every moment from the cinematography to the, the locations and the set designs. Um, and I don't just mean the, the volcano set design either. I was really, Tiger's set was amazing. His yeah. train, just everything was amazing. Uh, John Barry's music, hearing that through the cinema sound, absolutely remarkable. And then just the size of a battle at the end where you've got Tiger's army rising up on the horizon, like their silhouettes at nighttime as wow. the morning, as the sun's coming up. Like, this is just massive. This is huge. Again, it's one of those films that you see as a child. Great, you know, on the small screen. It's one of those adventures, those adventure films you get to watch on telly. But it was a whole different world seeing that um, on the big screen. It was, you're right, George, that was, I'm not trying to make you feel envious, but that, for me, that was one that I was keen to see. And I'm so glad I did. I was, I was blown away by it. I missed out on this one this this time. I saw it a few years ago in Germany. But I think they they played a Blu-ray in a cinema. I would have loved to see it. I love You Only Live Twice. Always did. And I think it's a, it's a massive top-tier Bond movie. It might not be in my top five, but it just narrowly misses out. I think the music's great. Mm. I think the visuals are great. And I think it's amazing that Bond basically travels to just one space, uh, one place, which is Japan. But still, you feel like he's he's like traveling all over the world. Yeah, yeah. These great places. And there's so much stuff happening in that film that is iconic. So, I was, And I was just thinking as well, just funny you said that, it's, it's so unbelievably iconic and it still yeah. remains quite precious because not many of the other Bond films have copied it, like scene for scene, a sequence for sequence, or mm. even third for third, if you know what I mean. There's no final third. Really. GoldenEye's a little bit like it. It's remained pretty pretty special that you only live twice there's you know how some bond films are quite similar in the well obviously there's the general formula but some bond films are quite similar to each other but nothing's ever really quite re been re no one's ever tried to recreate you only live twice or come close to it i don't think 
I feel like uh, like I feel though like Lewis Gilbert has done it three times. <laughs> no, I don't. I mean, I mean the whole the whole picture. Yeah. I know the what you mean in terms of, in terms okay. of the structure. I know what you mean, but I think in terms of the the size, the mood, the, everything going together. Yeah, and I know again we've gone back to the East and things like that, but nothing's it's never been done in quite the same way on quite no. the same scale. I think the only thing that lets it down for me a little bit when you see it fully on the massive screen is just towards the end, you can properly see its limitations in regards to the model work, which is, you know, of its time. But I think that aerial stuff where Connor is running across the top yeah. of the buildings, I don't think I've ever seen anything in a 60s film like that before. Oh, cool. Oh, it's just unbelievable. The Superman, yeah. the music just swings it along so perfectly. You want to be bummed. Out, outweighs exactly everything for, uh, for all its other faults, for, for just that bit alone. I think it's yeah, it's a pretty good film. Does somebody else feel like me that there's one tiny mistake in the film, and that concerns uh, Aki? Because in the obviously in the opening scene, he's making love to this Chinese girl, and then a uh, Japanese girl, sorry, this Japanese girl, and then he gets shot. Well, kind of shot, and then later at Tanaka's house, Aki suddenly appears and see, says to him. This time, you know, we'll, we won't be disturbed or something like that. And he acts towards her as if he's known her, if there was something special between them before, when she was the girl that he didn't ah. trust at all. And I feel there is a mistake in the script that actually at this point, it should have been the girl from the pre-title sequence, because otherwise it makes no sense that Bond suddenly goes like, oh, yeah, it's you. Let's, let's. <laughs> wow. This is fascinating, Philip. I really need to just, you know, yeah. need to watch rewatch it again. it again. Yeah. Think about it because it, it seems like they've, they've known each other for years when she takes over the massage. And you were like, wait, minutes ago, he didn't trust this woman. And then now, he, yeah. whereas. A bit like Madeline. Yes, this time will continue. And I feel like, wait. Shouldn't this have been the other girl? But that's just me, maybe. <laughs> Running away from him in that subway thing, Majiggy, and all of a sudden he's, she's giving him a massage. Yeah, yeah, I mean, okay, it's Bond. <laughs> There's something sexual involved, he won't say no. But still, yeah, I think I think there is a bit of a con continuity mistake. I, I don't think it's that deep. I, I think they literally <laughs> are. Just, they, they just start, that's a completely different character. They've, they've said, I love you to each other. She said, I've got a car nearby. That's as deep as that gets. <laughs> They're both in the game. She obviously knows who he is. He's like, oh, this is surprising. I'm going to go along with the flow of this. And I think that's that. And that's, you know, there's certain things that I will put like 110%, this needs to work and this doesn't work because of this. But in that, in that, in that thing, I'm just like, well... Aki's great. I mean, I have a I have a big love for Aki. I think she gets the short straw in that film. I really do. But, um, but her chemistry with Sean, I mean, is mm. the is the much better perhaps? I mean, it's absolutely and, brilliant. And they're funny. Like yeah. you wouldn't touch that horrible girl, yes. would you? It's like <laughs> heaven forbid. Like I mean, <laughs> dialogues are amazing. By yeah. the way, in the German dub version, for whatever reason. They called her Ski instead of Aki. I, I still don't know why, but they did some weird stuff in those films. Well, there's no skiing in any Sean Connery film, my word. That must oh. have been in his contract. Another good thing about that film is fantastic poisoning scene that I don't think I've ever seen. Yeah, anything. yeah. Oh, it's so well done, isn't it? Oh, well, they're asleep, aren't they? That guy just, I don't know how, yeah. I don't know what sort of complex they're in, but he just managed to come in without anyone seeing him or whatever. Yeah, lowers it down the string. I think it's just 
simplistic but perfect. Just works really well. You could say it was well executed. Non-stop adventure in this film, and that's what I always loved about it. For instance, I love when he sneaks into Tanaka's office and then fights the sumo guy, which I'm sure you all know is uh, related to The Rock. It's his uncle, I think. Oh um, yeah, brilliant, fun. Yeah, there, there's so many cool things that happen, and then when he comes back to Tanaka's office incognito. And then he looks at the little statue. Those are those little moments that I always loved about Bond and that you won't find in any other movie franchise. These little tiny details that you're excited about, that you get excited about. And even if people say Sean Connery wasn't, wasn't up to his... I don't know how they say it, but many people yeah. say he was bored when he did You Only Live Twice. I feel... I still feel it's very Bond-like. Like in many scenes, he just... He just doesn't care because he knows he's going yeah. to do it. So I never thought in that film, oh, he, he doesn't want to do Bond. I, I just felt he, he doesn't want to do the training or he, he doesn't care about the girl, yeah. but the Bond to me. I think they can, people confuse that he was getting bored, of, not bored, but he was fed up of playing Bond. Yeah. And he had a tough time filming it. It doesn't mean his performance on the screen was yeah. any less, I don't think. I think he's really charming and he, he still looks great. I think and what's how he interacts with Tanaka. With the yeah, great banter. That is so, so cool. And that yeah. they have such a chemistry together. I, I love it. These restorations have proper highlighted how amazing Sean Connery's suits were. Oh, they yeah. look absolutely incredible. And anyone that knows me will know I have zero sense in fashion or whatever like that. But, <laughs> but those suits that he's got on are just incredible. They look awesome. You know, they're fully restored and you can see... Just everything, the, the, the lining and, and the, just the blue and whatever in a grey suit, it's just mint. And also until now, well, not until now, until a few years ago, when I read somewhere that somebody said about Sean Connery that he moved like a panther. For, for the longest time, I never noticed that. But if you compare, as much as I love Daniel Craig and all the others, but if you compare their movements and their walks to the ones of Sean Connery, it's just incredible. Sean Connery has this, this move, especially I think in Thunderball, when he does this little things, it comes so natural. If I would do the same, and any, I think most of the actors would do the same, it wouldn't come across as smooth and as natural. It's so cool. And I really think that Terence Young or whoever, uh, the bro Broccoli and Saltzman, they saw something there that is very unique of a guy who could move like no other, and that was more important than his acting abilities at the time. Do people want those elements to return? It's difficult. One direction, it's like each Bond, there's pressure to be different from the last Bond. But we felt with Goldeneye, because we had that gap, it needed to go back to basics a bit. And I'm getting that general feeling maybe from tonight and and from speaking to other Bond fans, that that's probably the best step, maybe. Yeah, contextually for 95, you know, we all love Licence to Kill, and the same thing here for, for you guys, though, don't we? Yeah, um, yeah. It was not a box office bomb, but it was and not what they needed. And they, they didn't just have to move with the time of the 90s. It was also the last one didn't work. 
you know, and so much of, of what comes next does follow contextually. Again, 2002, Diamond Day made a lot of money, but it, it, it wasn't what people would want slash need, maybe. I don't know what's the plot of term and they had to reinvent. So, you know, not that I work for Eon, you know, on the off chance they need some advice. I would just put it as simple as this, not move on from Roger and Strong, because that's ridiculous, but you want to take the hard-edged Craig vibe and you need to blend it with Brosnan. And that's not just me as a, as a dream, but I think I think there, there's an in-between of those two that I think cinema's moving back towards where you want someone with a hard edge, you want someone that might have this emotional core story and a bit more about him. But then I think you need the suave of the Brosnan. If there's a way they can come up with an actor that can handle both, you know, one of them is called Henry Cavill. Um, yes, of course he is. I, I'm just... Uh, that that's personally how I feel. I know a lot of people will read it differently. I think the the main thing they've got to sort moving forwards. You know, a, again, I've loved the last day. I know it's not for everyone. They'll know financially adjusted for inflation. This is the biggest bond has been since the sixties, which is massive. When you think they've had Marvel against them, they've had Star Wars against them. You know, they've had other franchises, and yes, there's not been as many. I don't envy the challenge they have. What I would like, I can't remember if I said this to you, Sam, when we were chatting once before or to, or, or to Tom on, on this, but I don't mind a gap between No Time to Die and What Comes Next if that means there is a, not necessarily plan, I don't want them to do a Marvel and plan five films, but if they want to take a longer break to really nail what they're going to go for, I think that is the positive. And I think going back to No Time to Die, okay, terrible, terrible thing. My parents watched it the weekend, so I didn't know. So I, I came home from a weekend away and I was like, I was like, one of the discs has moved on my shelf in a really OCD way. And my dad was like, you know, because we obviously were at the concert, which was amazing with them. You know, mom's a massive fan, Zimmer fan. Um, they watched it the weekend. It's the second time they've seen it. They both absolutely love it. And I, I think with, with the ending, uh... obviously it's been divisive across the Bond community. I think the general public absolutely loved it. So I think might benefit the next film is with this gap. That might make it easier for them to see a new Bond. Like had had the sequel, had the next film come out today, everyone would be like, "Why is he, why is he coming back? He died last year." But I, I think if there's a three four year gap, and in that four three four year gap, they've really figured out this is what we want to do for the next ten years, which Barbara Brock has alluded to. Um, I've got my faith in them. I know that is it Greg William, uh, Greg Wilson, Michael G. Wilson's son. I know he's been mm. doing a lot more for the anniversary. He's been yes. at all the events. He was at the beer fight the weekend. He was at the concert. He was at the Chrissy's auction house as well. Uh, he was there with his dad. I'm wondering if we'll still get Barbara leading it. And I think we're going to slowly see uh, his son come into the fold and, and maybe Mike will take more of a backseat. Uh, you know, he, he's 80 and he's worked his franchise for an incredible amount of time. And if he does want to slow down, 100% go for it. He's earned it. Hi, this is Anthony Stark. I played Truman Lodge in License to Kill. And you're listening to Really 007. I'm quite curious as to what some new blood could do, but I'm also going to go down my fever pipe dream, as I always do say, and not just ask for Pierce Brosnan to come back. There's a certain director who's been linked to Bond for 10 years, thanks to the end of Honor Magic Secret Service in Inception. Obviously, Mr. Nolan is too professional to comment, but he's got a film coming out next year. He works on one film at a time. I'm going to put this on the spot and ask you one now. If they've not announced the next Bond director by May, when they start prepping the press for Oppenheimer, I, I'm going to give you a guarantee that Nolan could be the next Bond director. 
And I think if they're patiently waiting for him, I, I think that might also benefit them down the line. So that's just me putting out a, a, a hit theory. Um, that would be a one-off, though, wouldn't it? You can't I don't, unless he does another trilogy I, or something like that. I've always imagined if he was to do a Bond one-off, he'd want to be involved in casting the Bond and it being the yeah, first would, film in a new era. So it will be the first time their schedules kind of line again. Oppenheimer, mm. July. That's just it's something I thought of this week. Actually, I haven't really, I haven't watched Nolan film for a while, and I saw a few things. I was like. It's all all the Bond's Nolan talk's gone a bit quiet for a while, and obviously because there's no Bond film coming out. And I was like, now it'll be the first time Nolan's film was done and dusted by, and there's not a Bond film in production. I, I think that's the most we'll hear about it. And again, people might not want him; he might not want to do it himself. Tenet, you could look at as a his take on Bond in his own way. Yeah. Uh, and I'm a big fan, big big fan of that film. It'll still be written by Purvis and Wade, won't it? The story. <laughs> I, come on, he, that's the first thing he'd do. He'd be like, right, these guys want to help. Danny Boyle tried to get rid of them, didn't he? But it didn't. They came back. <laughs> I don't think they were going to do the Danny Boyle one, were they? Uh, no, I, think, I, mean, I, yeah. I, I genuinely think it, it was more of a, I, I can't swear, I think it was a, ah, we've lost someone, we've got to bring in the, yeah. the, the safe pair of hands. And, the Benitez. Well, no, more, more Sam Allardyce, isn't it? <laughs> I, yeah, well, <laughs> don't ever mention Benitez. <laughs> Two things about Greg Wilson. So I was at the BFI uh, about a week ago and he was taking part in one of the panels. And what I found quite interesting, he didn't say that much. One of the things he said is that he's been basically looking into every department and trying to soak up what they do, trying to learn from them. And then at one point, Michael G. Wilson even mentioned, he he didn't come up with a name. I I forgot what it was. And he said, my son knows more about it now than I do. Also, uh, at the panel, it turned out that um, uh, Greg Wilson wants the quips to come back. So basically, he's been advocating recently for more jokes to be in the Bond movies. And Barbara has has basically put her fingers on it and said no. But <laughs> if, if Greg will take over Michael's place, then I think will be moving maybe a bit towards a more fun time bond, if that makes sense. I found that quite interesting. And Greg was basically at every event lately. And mm. I think it's not going to be long until he takes over Michael's spot. And then we'll see how the dynamics between him and Barbara are going to be. But eventually, I think Greg Wilson is going to be our man. Do you think, I think that COVID, obviously, still waiting for cinema things to get more confident and yeah. also waiting for Mission Impossible 7 to come out and see how well that does after COVID can also be a bit of a factor here because that, that's mega money that's also been affected by COVID, hasn't it? Fortunately, No Time to Die was finished before it came out and they were still making Mission Impossible 7 during the covid virus thing weren't they they're filming back to back as well they, yeah. they might do that might they and that that's surely got to a bit of a leap there because they've sort of not for me but to a degree they've they've proper leapfrogged almost on certain aspects plagiarizing a lot of james bond stuff i might add tom cruise and that mission impossible factory has just gone stellar with fallout do you know what i mean and that that is the kind of thing that i'd be looking at kind of like you know that's 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 the major competition. What they would do, and this is the way I viewed it, is that they knew they were coming to the end of the Craig era, so they weren't going to reinvent Craig with his final film. I, I, I think if Greg Wilson has been, as we think, looking ahead, I think it was a, when the Craig era is finished, we'll take time out and, and we'll just look forward to what the plan is. And the Mission Impossible stuff is interesting because obviously if you listen to Tom Cruise's interviews, he absolutely respects the Bond films. 
he never tries to hype up the rivalry. You know, he, obviously it's Tom Cruise. It's very much that's enjoyed the cinema experience, et cetera, et cetera. But this is the big Mission Impossible because on, on paper, they are incredible series. And I think the last one grossed just under 800 mil, which is their highest, which yeah. would be the third highest grossing Bond film, obviously not adjusted for inflation uh, at all. But I think COVID, I, I think the biggest problem they've had genuinely is MGM and Amazon. I don't know if you're familiar that when Amazon takeover happened, MGM's heads all left and Barbara Broccoli had been told they wouldn't have. So Amazon's been having to get a new MGM head in on top of having to obviously even plan for this. Because what was really interesting, the BFI Chris Corbold spoke. And at the end of his discussion, he added in like an extra throw in line. He said, I want you all to thank Barbara and Michael. Mm. And he spoke. And it was very off the cuff. This wasn't a rehearsed, mm. I want to thank them. This was a, they had to fight for this they cinema. Fought, yeah. And I remember throughout COVID, there were rumours that Apple had offered like 400 mil for No Time to Die. There were talk that Elon wanted 800 mil. There was so much politics with COVID. And for anyone familiar with, with how the box offices went throughout COVID, so many studios panicked. They would just sell off their films to, to streaming yeah. services. A lot of them began with terrible films, them just trying to cash in quickly. But the box, I would say nobody Ooh, was the biggie, wasn't it? Yeah, well, and that ended up just on Disney's own site. So they didn't yeah. really sell it to anyone but themselves. And, and yeah. I mean, the lesser about that, the better in, in terms of you know some of how they filmed it. But not oh, seen um, it. I've not I've not seen it, but I, I know I know some of the locations they choose to shoot in where there's you know certain um, political things getting on a don and get this yeah. this it, band it's a dreadful China. film anywhere. Yeah, <laughs> and this I remember. And there was talk the Bond one at 800 and Apple sniffed. And I was there like, well, this is the thing. Like you can't, it's proven you can be a Netflix, you can have a hit, you can, you know, bring in subscribers, but they they can't pay $800 million for a film and, and, it, and it balance out with their shoes, no matter how rich they are. And I think it's just got to be credit to Eon and MG yeah, for fighting yeah. that. And certainly for us over here, you know, it was just over a year ago. That was like the highest grossing. It overtook Fast Nine until Spider-Man, you know, the, high, the, the biggest post-COVID film. And I think now it's only fourth or fifth. Like even the Batman didn't have gross, which surprised me. And I think it was a massive, massive thing they did in holding, you know, holding their own. And I know a lot of people said in the past, you know, they should have been making stuff over COVID. I think their priority was we have to get this film out and we don't know how, we don't know when it's going to come out. I remember there was talk of, I don't remember the Maserati that in the post-COVID trailer, they took the Maserati logos off because their deal had expired. They had to redo certain deals and genuinely just an unknown time for film. And I think, you know, we can all talk about Top Gun. You know, Paramount were very smart because they wouldn't release a film until they'd seen other people release films that would be successful. But Bond took the plunge and said, you know what, we're going to do this. We want this film out. We want people to see it. Nothing but respect for them. And And I just think moving forward, my main hope is that there is a very good working relationship with Eon and Amazon. I know it's MGM, but let's be blunt, it's, it's, it's Amazon now. Yeah. And I think, you know, if Amazon is smart, they'll just finance them. You know, we, we know that the Eon rules are they have full creative control. I, I hope Amazon is just fine with it. Let them fund it. Let them release it at cinema. Mm. People will go. It, it is James Bond. It's an event. And one thing I really want to throw on apologies if someone might have mentioned it, but the beauty of this series being 60 years old is it's not a massive spin-off franchise. There's no universes. There's no money penny spin-off, no Q spin-off, none of this. It's it's James Bond. And again, like without pointing the finger, there was a lot of talk last year, like it needs to be more like Marvel. It's this year all the Marvel films have been underperforming to their own standards because people are tired. And the people don't get tired when there's a new Bond film. 
people come out yeah. of their chairs and taste change. Yeah, yeah and, and it's and what I kind of say, like again, I've jumped in this video later, so apologies, but it's a sixty-year-old franchise. You're not going to make it to sixty years if you've not, you know, having new releases in into a six-year franchise that just doesn't happen. And you know, will Marvel have a sixtieth anniversary? Don't know how many thousands of films there'll be, whatever reboots they've done. But it just it, it won't have the gravitas that James Bond does. There's there's something, uh, and again, like obviously it helps. I'm not very patriotic. I say this a lot, but with Bond, it's the only time you'll see me like you know getting the flags out, getting buzzing for the cinema release. That there's there's something about it that I think just works and is right. But that yeah, ties in with what I was going to say about the box office, George. That I think it's still in maybe the top ten all time UK box office. It's, oh, it's 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 everything. I'm sorry, I'm I'm absolute sad with um yeah. box office numbers, but Skyfall is number two. It's grossed, I think, 105 million pounds. Number one's Force Awakens, 120 mil. Number three, Spider-Man, because it had that silly re-release recently. But basically, yeah. it, it's no, uh, I'm sure it's no time to die then Spider-Man. No, because yeah. Spider-Man just had its new re-release with its silly uh, five okay. minutes of deleted scenes. <laughs> but I think three of the top five are Skyfall, Spectre, and No Time to Die. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But the big the big thing for me was No Time to Die did that after the pandemic. I think pre-pandemic, that's 100 million. That's the third British film to ever... But it's it's weird, It's more complex than that because it didn't do yes. that as well in America, did it? And it's This is not, it. And It's not done as well around the world as I think they probably hoped. So it's like, is it becoming more of a British thing as we go on? I don't know. I, I think genuinely... Because America's box office last year wasn't great until Spider Spider Man was when the Americans basically turned up. Fast Nine, if you look at that, that was the other big one pre Bond. It wasn't massive domestic; it was all international. We count as international friends. Yeah, it's about worldwide China, box office. Yeah, yeah, China. They you know, no, I don't. Did Bond have a China release? I can't remember. But a lot of films haven't had China releases post COVID. That's something they've. All Tenet been came out that year as well, didn't it? Tenet yeah. was the year before. Only gross three hundred mil. Yeah, uh, and that's, that was a massive risk, though, wasn't it? That was totally different. Oh yeah, I mean, well, I mean looking back, didn't it? Look, look, looking back, like it's a terrible idea to release Tenet, but I've just got to say, like that was one of the, my favourite experiences of the year because it's such a dreadful year. I needed a cinema. <laughs> Seeing that, like, I need to see it so many times. It really, really helped. Box office with Bond is an amazing thing because historically, it's not been massive in America. They've sort of come in for the Craig era. It had a bit of a spike, and then yeah, no time to start. It dropped a bit and. And I think the big thing is, is demographics that the over 50 market, I'm pretty sure their highest one in America has been Top Gun. So Americans will say Top Gun saves cinema for them, which I think is a very good argument. It's gross 1.4 bill, 700 mil of that is America. So it's, it's just fascinating. Sorry, I'm a massive nerd of these numbers. But, oh, it's um, great. Because what I've been following <laughs> is the these re-release box office win. Yeah, those things. have been interesting, actually. We haven't mentioned that. It's really frustrating because... They only release the weekend statistics. Yeah. So you can only look at the weekend ones. However, after the weekend at the BFI, so the the, the spreadsheet they send out, you have the weekend gross, and then it has the total annual gross. So a few films that were at the BFI that weekend that had its annual gross because they'd been and gone. Skyfall had absolutely smashed it. Uh, obviously, and this is it, we won't know the full grosses until the end of the year. I believe they do an end of year financial report but it would include the Prince Charles releases, which obviously started before the cinemas were doing them. Prince Charles had a head start. 
And obviously, Clouds of License to Kill there. It includes the BFI Weekend releases. You get, what, three Craig films, uh, Living Daylight, Stop to Know, and Spice Why Who Love Me. You'll also then get, obviously, the rest of the, the 24 and, and their entire weekly grosses. So I'm very intrigued. Again, I'm a big advocate of the Craig era. I, I've I remember, I think I said it to you, Tom, that I didn't know how the Craig films would perform. I said, I think Casino Royale will be massive. I don't, because they're so recent, I don't know how many people will go to yeah. them, but they they were just smashing it. Like, Skyfall was second after Casino. Even Spectre didn't perform as bad as we might have thought. Quantum of Solace did surprisingly well. That almost matched License to Kills numbers. So I think when this year's done and dusted, I'm, I'm not being sad, but that's, that's one of the things I'm looking forward to the most is seeing this full what what are the top 25 of the re-releases for this year because I think most chains are doing the Tuesday screenings so it's a really hard statistic to well that's when out. Sam and I went isn't it every mm. every other week or whatever yeah I think views views are Sundays and Saturdays I think Odeons are Tuesdays showcases aren't doing them it's finished um, George so sorry past tense I, no, I, I, yeah past <laughs> tense but I loved following the numbers it was just so frustrating they couldn't just send us the you know this yeah. is what the the actuals are because it's going to be really interesting seeing what's at the top what's at the bottom and it will be very interesting to see the reaction online from, from, from people I said I only jumped in for the Brosnan era that's not a slight against the others. I just literally couldn't commit. Because if I saw one from one bond, I need to yeah. see all of them. My local was only doing Sundays, which is embarrassing. And Sydney World showing it on 15 out of 130 cinemas. And they're, they're <laughs> wondering why they're, you know, in financial dire straits, they wouldn't even accept an extra screening for a couple of grand a week. But it'd be interesting yeah. to see if they'd advertise them, you know, if there were TV adverts yeah. for them. They'd have to put them in more screens, I think. Because it's people really didn't, didn't know about yeah. them. Do you know, it we, came as a complete surprise to me. That they were doing it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and we're Bond fans. It, it absolutely blew me away. So, well, I said at the beginning of the evening, I said um, I went on my birthday. I only discovered on the Thursday. I'm just like, Dr. No's on on Saturday. This is obviously meant to be, but how have I only just heard about this? Yeah. The number of people I've said, I've gone, oh, I've been watching James Bond films at cinema every week. They've gone, really? And yeah. I've gone, yeah, I've never heard about that. And even people who aren't Bond fans have been mega interested about the fact they've been doing it. But the fact that they've gone, I remember going back to pictures watching it when I was a kid or whatever, I'd have gone and watched that. And yet, nothing. Definitely. But this this is the thing. Cinemas are, are, are doing a lot of re-releases, as I, men- I mentioned earlier. They've, you know, a lot of times when it's a film's anniversary. So last year I watched Scream and Train Spotting, two films that I'd never seen on the big screen before. Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone's 20th anniversary last year. I saw that. This year they're doing Chamber of Secrets, they're doing The Thing because it's 40th anniversary. All All these films are coming out, but you have to go on the website to find them. Yeah. And I don't know, obviously a a cinema chain is not going to like do new adverts to say, oh, these are the films that are going to be coming out. But, you know, surely there's a way where you have, where, because I'm sure general audiences, they would say, oh, I've not seen that film in years. Or say, oh, I want to show my kids this. And, you know, Hocus Pocus is in cinemas right now, you know, the original, you know, film. Yeah. You know, there's so many different types of films for so many different audiences that that surely there's a way to tap into that. Of course, James Bond is just one of the many, but it would be interesting to know, you know, what the, how these numbers would change had more people been aware. We, I only found out about the Bond films in cinema by chance and told a Twitter group. And then they were like, no one knew about it. No, they, someone knew about one of the films. And I looked and I saw, oh, all of them are in here. All of them are on the schedule. So yeah, it's 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 weird that, especially for for Bond for for a 60th anniversary year, they following No Time to Die, that that wasn't capitalised upon. 
they didn't even put the trail that 60th anniversary trailer on until about the third film. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. that was weird. You know, so, I mean, Chris Harris in Paris is more important, though, isn't it? Yeah, I was just about to say <laughs> it's bad enough going to Audion and them going, these trailers are specifically designed for you. Yeah. No, they're not. But, but, but it like really this this I've only just seen this trailer for these. Why, why aren't these on the telly or even social media? What must it cost? Absolute bugger all to put something onto that. I mean, I I watched like Sam said. I watched um, Jaws the other week, and apparently the numbers are really good for that because it's yeah been yeah week. Now that sickeningly is actually on the road down the road at Burnley. None of the Bond films were, but they've been showing, they've got the thing on at the end of the month and Dracula and whatever. There's a market for it. And I'd, I'd like to think that it could traps maybe next year, just go, let's have another crack at this and show these Bond films every week. What frustrated me is we're driving back from Edinburgh on Sunday. My friend's car, the Bruce's broke, so let's listen to the radio and unfortunately it was talk sport. Every 30 minutes we get an advert for the Bond films on Amazon. And I was like, hold yep. on a minute. Why weren't you guys doing this to the cinema? And I would get that Amazon would have bought the ad space for TalkSport. But I was like, why have I heard this advert about 20 times today? Now it's all online. And I think what's really interesting is that when the anniversary hit last week, even the non-Bond fans I know, like your casual viewers, you know, that that enjoy James Bond or enjoy these sort of things, they'd all heard about the anniversary, but no one had heard about it throughout the year. And it just sort of makes me think that, again, I think the distribution company is not Eon Dirty, it's like a, they're called Park Region or something like that. I just didn't feel like there was any marketing for it. You know, Cineworlds, not to bore people, I just kept kicking off with them on Twitter every couple of days because they'd be like, we're showing The Spy Who Loved Me this week. And I was replying saying, yeah, 10 out of the 120 places you are. Like, and then they'll market it saying, oh yeah, we've shown all the Bond films. Like, but you haven't, you've catered to nobody. And there's only, even like London only had one screening, which is ridiculous. And that was the wow. Greenwich one. I remember kicking off because I pay the premium to get the West End cinemas when I'm in London. And that wasn't shown. I was like, in theory, you've probably broken some form of like customer satisfaction nonsense. I don't know. But it was so strange how they've done them. And I think a lot of it is the naivety of the chains. I think a lot of them aren't bothered. They probably thought we'd have the same people coming each week for, for 25 weeks. But this would have been a great time to brought in new fans. You know, the, yeah. Amazon had them streaming. Amazon took them off so that nobody could watch it whilst at the cinemas. You had to go You had to go at the, at, at the chance. And it, it's been frustrating. And, you know, Avatar just had a massive re-release. I was going to say, yeah. Titanic did, sequel. didn't it? Titanic's going to have another one next year for 4K. But they, they can sort of say, we'll release it as a re-release and leave it as long as it's popular. If you're doing the run here, you've got 25 films. You can't just yeah. put them all out and leave them and see which ones are less popular and put them off. They've had to stick to that one every week thing, I suppose. You just wish that there could have been a, a bit of variety, right? That it was the one 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 a week at every cinema at the same time. It's like every time it's like, and again, in the case of me, how many people are free at Sunday evenings at six o'clock every week for yeah. 25 weeks? Yeah, last, you know, last, last day yeah. at season as well. And it's just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just one of them. It, it was frustrating. It was very frustrating to miss out on a lot. But um, I'm just glad as we've hit the six year, and I'll give full crazy on that BFI weekend, although I couldn't get a ticket for the Friday and I, and I didn't stay for the IMAX triple bill. That was just such a wonderful way to celebrate that it felt like, I sort of felt like Eon knew what they were doing, if that makes sense. That they they knew that when it hits the actual anniversary, we'll be here, we'll have stuff done, we'll have stuff ready. But up till that point, I just felt it was a bit, not naive, but there was something missing. And I don't know who who, who the source of that is. Is it Chains? Is it Eon? Is it Amazon? It could be anything. This is Guts Auto.
aka Mr. Stemper from Tomorrow Never Dies. You're listening to Really 007. Have fun. I owe you an unpleasant death, Mr. Bond. In conclusion, I just want to hear sort of what everyone's thoughts are and hopes are for the next few years for the Bond franchise. <laughs> I'll start with you, Patch. I'm almost certain that they'll do some sort of reboot. Not exactly the same as what they did with Casino Royale, but maybe something where they can just start anew without an origin story, so to speak. They'll just have a, a maybe a traditional Bond adventure, maybe more in the vein of the Brosnan films, where you do have some emotional resonance some key feature, you know, on the lines of electricing or that kind of thing. But you know, it's, it's, it's hard to tell at the moment. They're, they're definitely thinking things through, but they're quite tight-lipped. Dom, do you think that's because they just haven't even bothered to think about it? Or do you think that there's some master plan going on in the background? <laughs> I think they've got something up their sleeve. I just think they're being very tight-lipped. Wow. What I'd like to see is some more sort of, I know it's not going to be everyone's taste, but some sort of, Roger Moore kind of style where there's a bit more jokes and humour. We've had a very dark time with Craig and a lot of seriousness. It'd be nice to keep the seriousness there, but just sort of something that isn't quite as tight-edged as it's been, you know? That's what I'd like to see personally, but I don't know what all your opinions are. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I would be fine to have another slightly more light-hearted film in the vein of the Roger Moores or Brosnan's. You know, that's the same sort of thing that got me into the franchise in the first yeah. place. Same here. I think if you look back at the history after the Connery Lazenby area, we went into the Moore era, which was which was more light-hearted. Then we had two tougher films with Dalton. Then we got back to the light-hearted version with Brosnan. Then we got back to the really tough films with Craig. And I think now it's time to switch back. I mean, we we kind of live in, in dark times. There's lots of stuff going on in the world that bothers us, I'm, I'm sure. And if I go to the cinema at these times, I don't necessarily see have to see all of that reflected in the film. I want some escapism. And so uh, I have to say that phrase of Barbara where she said that Bond is become, becoming more sensitive and more like men these days, I felt like, well, that, that's not what I'm going in there. I might become more sensitive for my peers or whatever, but I'm seeing Bond also not because he's exactly like me. Not that there's moments where I, there's, of course, moments where I want to be like him, but I am not like Bond. That's for sure. And that's, I want Bond to see, I want to, want to see a Bond that's kind of a, this special person who manages to do the things I don't. And I don't need him to be sensitive. I'm okay with if there's a bit of emotion involved, but it shouldn't be more than in the Fleming books where sometimes he, he's a bit uh, rattled by having to kill a guy or where he, he falls in love with a girl. And then even, which many people who don't read the books don't know, then he falls in love with a girl, but he doesn't get her because she's, I don't know, uh, she's just proposed to somebody else and stuff like that. I'm okay with that, but please don't give me a film of an emotionally completely wrecked Bond because <laughs> I feel like these past years, you know, I watch a lot of stuff. I watched Star Wars, Star Trek, all that stuff. So we had Picard on Star Trek who suddenly has lots of emotional trouble and trauma from the past. We had Obi-Wan who has to, is suffering from his relationship with Darth Vader. I'm, like, I'm like, can I not just see one of my favorite franchises without so much emotional baggage. Sometimes I just want to see it and have some light-hearted fun. It can be 
still a thrilling adventure, as Dalton showed, you know, License to Kill in the Living Daylights. There's a lot going on there, and it's, a, it's, it's tense, but it's still fun to watch, and I don't mm. have to think all the time, oh, my God, he's suffering so much because this person disappointed him, whatever. That's... <laughs> That's get over it, mate. Well, I don't need it to be too emotional. And let's not forget what he said in Goldeneye. Uh, how can you be so cold? Uh, that's what keeps you alone, I think. No, that's yeah. what keeps you alive. People hate that scene. Yeah. <laughs> but but that that's how it is. And one last thing, AJ, who some of you know, who wrote the book, yeah, uh, yeah. Hero, and I did a tour with him the other day through London, and we talked about the future, and he said, he thinks that they're not just going to write one script or at least a rough script before before they choose another actor. He thinks they're going to write or at least do drafts for several scripts so that they have some sort of Marvel storyline before they choose a new actor, which I thought was an interesting theory. But I sincerely hope they don't because I'm quite fine if you do films without too much continuity. I'm fine with having two fun hours. The next two hours can have some drawback. They can mention, you know, Tracy, they can mention whatever from the past, but please don't make these films dependent on another. Don't make them too dark. That's that's not my kind of style. I love all the Bond movies, rest assured, but still I feel now, like, like Patch and Dom said, is maybe the time to become a bit more lighthearted and maybe Greg Wilson has to say there'll be more, a few more quips in the films. Absolutely. What would you do, Chris? <laughs> a lot of what Philip said there. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I'd like to, you know, go back to an element where you can uh, suspend disbelief a little bit. Um, I know they tried that in No Time to Die by uh, uh, Daniel Craig being being able to find a parking spot in London straight away. <laughs> um, no, I, I look forward to 2024 when, uh, if it's not going to be... Uh, Henry Cavill, Dan Stevens would be my pick. I think he could be an interesting choice. Like I said ages ago, let's go back to just coming out of the cinema. I've been feeling a bit better. I just, I like the Daniel Craig films. I, apart, apart from the last third of No Time to Die. And I can I can almost get past the fact that he starts off young and up for it. And within two films, he's past it. And then the fourth one is weeping in the kitchen about the fact that this girl he only met last week was little, or, or should I say, previous to be uh, splitting up, was everything for him. Back to the single stories. Like, no, no, I like arcs. I'm a big fan of the Matt Smith Doctor Who arc that a lot of Doctor Who fans don't like. I like them. But in Bond, I kind of like the mission stuff. Let's perhaps maybe go back to doing that. The Daylights and License to Kill era with the right kind of actor, I think it'd be perfect. An amalgamation of Don, Brosnan and Craig, I think is possible. Brilliant. You just mentioned Henry Cavill, my candidate, by the way, my preferred candidate is Aiden Turner. I think he's very... Yeah, I like him. Genius. But uh, little, I think there's a lot of pressure on, isn't there? Because the longer it gets on... Sure. Then you're really gambling big style, aren't you? And who you're getting the right actor. And sometimes it's... Is it better to go... like? Pierce Brosnan wasn't an unknown quantity when, when they went with him for GoldenEye again, even though they'd obviously almost had him lined up for Living Daylights. But he wasn't an unknown quantity then either, really, to be honest. Daniel Craig was more a television actor and had done a few films and stuff like Everlasting Love, and, but he'd done a lot of the, Our Friends in the North. So he wasn't, again, he wasn't mega unknown, but he was a bit of a left-field choice. And you watch Layer Cake and you think, actually, he'd be awesome for that. Yeah. 
I just worry that the, the longer it goes on, those great actors that are right at the peak right now won't be at the right age again. Like the, but there'll be new actors, there'll be younger actors that yeah, none of us right but, now can think of. I, I, I have this theory that they should actually just hang out even longer and go for the guy you play, the, the young kid who's playing um, uh, Alex Ryder in the Amazon series. Oh. Otto, Otto um, is it Perringer or something like that? He's very good. It'd be great in about 10 years. Okay, I haven't... Oh, Check that out. I've kind of settled a little bit in, in the No Time to Die episode, but I honestly just believe I'm way more hopeful now than I was a year ago. It's been really easy to dog on Eon and to Barbara and Michael, and I think in some ways it's absolutely deserved, and other ways it's absolutely not, because I think there's been a, there's a lot of factors that we know about, there's some that we don't know about, where it's just been very difficult to control. And we know the, the things that we do know about, whether it's, you know, rights or, you know, everything that was going on with Spectre, with uh, Kevin McClory, all the stuff that's gone on with MGM. There's been so many battles that they've had to face, you know, regardless of what type of film they're making. I've, I feel, especially, at, and maybe it's because I've seen all the films in the cinema, going to the BFI and going to the Royal Albert Hall recently, that I kind of come away thinking, do you know what, we're, we're, we're starting a, a fresh we're starting afresh and it's a clean slate, which is why I'm so fine with Bond dying in, in no time to die. I'm so fine with that to be done. Because if any if any Bond was going to die, I'd want it to be Craig's Bond and not any of the others. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, if yeah. you're going to try it, try it with, try it with him. True. And I feel like, and I feel like of all the storylines, that's the one that's led up to that the most rather than anyone else. It would go completely left field if it's like, okay, so Roger also <laughs> fell off the Golden Gate Bridge. <laughs> Stacey's just there in the shower alone, just like, oh, well, um, whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's, there's just certain things where I'm like, you know what, for that, it was right. And had it come out, I think the original release date for No Time Star was like the end of 2019 before it got pushed to that April 2020 slot. So I think even, you know, if that was done then, you know, that's three years away from the 60th anniversary. And I feel like had it gone as it was going to, then, you know, we could have been in a completely different position right now. But I think now that Amazon's got it because of the stuff that's gone on recently, I really feel like, right, we've been prepped up and echoing what George said, I'm fine with waiting if it means that we're actually going to get a lot of stuff done. And I mentioned like there's books being written, there's, you know, new things, you know, we've got that new Kim Sherwood book out right now we've got you know the video game which i'm hoping is still you know <laughs> being produced and that's all okay you got the films being on amazon you get these cinema screenings you get the anniversary stuff i mean there's things have been worked on this is not a dead franchise at all things are happening but this has gone on for 60 years and obviously the longer it goes on for that one massive slip up could you know cause massive ramifications so it's it's a very important <laughs> license. It's a very important thing, which we all know. They've done this risk. It's paid off. I mean, it's made the money. People were talking about it. It, it, it you know, people people have the opinions, but I'm so, I'm so fine with no time to die right now. It's it's untrue. I did not think I'd be as cool about it as I am because I was so upset when I saw it. But this time, the other day when I saw it this weekend, it was the fourth time I'd seen it. I'd seen it three times at the cinema last year. Fourth time now, and I'm just like, okay, I'm ready. Let's bring on. Let's bring on the new thing. And I kind of get that sense of you know a golden eye after license to kill vibe. I wasn't alive for for that, but it's that kind of preparation of oh you're waiting years but you're going to start out with someone who's just going to go right into it you we want kind of a new version of a guy jumping off a dam and then jumping off a cliff after a plane 
Like that's my idea of kind of the template that they need to use for the, a new era of Bond, that we want to go straight into it. This is what this person is, this character is. He's still the same. This other, These other guys have played him. One of them died. It's okay. He's back. And we're going to go into it. And I don't know how far they're going to go, how far, you know, things do need to change with times as they always do. But, you know, there needs to be some elements of Fleming. But I've, I've spoken that I don't, because I've not read all the books, I'm not, I don't believe that, Bond on the big screen needs to be a lot of Bond in the books. Bond on the big screen needs to be what he's always been, which is just someone who is very enter- entertaining for audiences. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes that that's not a, a, a translation, you know, from a book, unfortunately. So more lightheartedness, of course, but I think there is there's something that you can do. And I think someone mentioned, I think they've gone now who mentioned about the Brosnan era that I, that it was or I don't know if it was one of you that it dates more, but I still feel like the Brosnan era is very of the current times. I think a lot of the stories work with what they are with what could work today, maybe with just some tweaks. And I think the balance of emotional bond with with lightheartedness, with seriousness, all those things kind of work for me in the majority of the Brosnan films, at least the first three, for sure. And so I think there's definitely something that could be done with that. And I also just want a younger actor to play him so we can get someone who actually kind of grows with it, kind of like a, a Craig or something like that, but maybe just having a, that bit more kind of eagerness to play different types of missions and different things each every each and every time without this one continuous story which i think again a good thing for them to try but that's done now they've tried that let's try and bring back a classic thing and twist it there's a lot that can be done and i'm sure we could all speak for ages about it yeah i'm i'm looking forward to what there is because i just have a genuine sense of hope recommendation read all the fleming books There's lots of... I have them all. I have them all. I'm, I'm so <laughs> close to finishing Moonraker. Not Moonraker, Casino Royale. I'm so close. There are so many scenes in there that have been used, but also mm. so many scenes that I think they could still use. There's some amazing stuff that they didn't do because they couldn't do it, like the octopus in Dr. No. Yes. Those who have read the books will know it. That would be an amazing scene. The, the, the train chase in Diamonds Are Forever... And also, I've recently read the latest book by Anthony Horowitz, and I think there's some amazing stuff in it. I just say for those who've read it, Tower Bridge, that will make a scene that people would remember for ages in a movie. And I wish they would think uh, of maybe taking stuff from the Horowitz books, put it into films. And I think with Amazon now behind it, the one thing we don't have to worry about anymore is getting the financing right. Now, yeah, it's just, mm. we're making a movie. The money is... Well, well, people are saying about the, the John Gardner novels, again, which I've not read, but that there's definitely mm. things from those films that could be taken, which yeah. I think would be interesting because I've heard a little bit about what's in those. And I think there's definitely ideas to be had there and, and newer titles for Bond films yeah. that aren't 007 in New York. But Thomas, you've enjoyed the Horowitz books as well, I can tell from your reaction. I've just finished, actually, that Horowitz book. Um, it's excellent. The the ending is yeah. Don't don't spoil it for no, the no, other. No. <laughs> it's just perfect. It it is perfect. But I, funnily enough, I, I've read that, but I haven't read. I've bought Trigger Mortis, um, but I haven't read it yet. Um, and I've got three of the young Bond books I've recently actually picked up in little of all places <laughs> um, <laughs> to read. Yeah, fantastic author. I quite like the John Gardner books. A lot of people don't like them, but I think. Sam, crack on with the the the, the uh, Fleming books because I found that during lockdown 
I reread all the books because I was furloughed and had nothing to do and and fully immersed myself into Bond all over again, proper big style. And I couldn't help but not go, I'm actually, there's a lot in these books, that are, uh, these films that the, uh, the, the books are in. And everyone goes, oh, there's no to do with, the films are nothing like the books. They actually are. And it's it's quite amazing when, you, when you've read them and you just go, actually, there's loads in these these books that are used in the film. It's just living daylight. They aren't. Amazing. Thank you, everybody. It's been fabulous, this. I've really enjoyed it. I'm so excited that we do have an amazing new generation of Bonds that is just around the corner. You know, we'll we'll look back at conversations like this and think, oh, right, we got it. We got it quite right. Or we got some things wrong and we were excited by the, the changes they made. And to look back at the Bonds over the last six months has just been incredible. 60 years and to see it evolve over time shows that it will evolve again. And there's plenty to look forward to and there's plenty to look back on. Oh, and Tom, most importantly, there's plenty of tool. Thank you, everybody, all the contributors tonight and the guests. It's been fantastic. James Bond will return. We don't know how, we don't know when, but he will be back and we're going to be there really cheering him on. Back at the cinema as well. We have it Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states learn more at uh1.com hey it's Paige desorbo from giggly squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to quince i'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters sleek leather jackets fine jewelry and so much more with quince being 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands and they partner with factories that prioritize safe ethical and responsible manufacturing i love that luxury quality within reach go to quince.com style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order quince.com style